I never, I never dreamt that big, Brother Bradford, when I was sitting in a little pool shed. It was a, an amazing day several years ago that all three of us were together once again in a, in a service, and it was Brother Bradford being the pastor and Brother Vaughn Pearson being the evangelist, and I was on the drums. We always fought over who was going to preach and who was going to play the drums and who was going to sing. And we all got to do a little bit of all of that. But I really do count an honor uh, to sit under the ministry of Brother Kevin Bradford. Um, I do not take that lightly. Um, we, Our families have been acquainted since before we were born. And um, there were some years that we weren't around too much, but... I'm thankful for the years that we've been together. Amen. I'm going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 6, and I'm going to read through verse 13. If you're there, please say amen. 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 6, and David said to Abishai, now shall Sheba, the son of Bichri, do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou thy Lord's servants. And pursue after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. And there went out after him Joab's men and the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men. And they went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. When they were at the great stone which is in Gibeon, Amasa went before them. And Joab's garment that he had put on was girded unto him. And upon it a girdle with the sword fashioned upon his loins in the sheath thereof, and as he went forth, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand, so he smote him therewith in the fifth rib, and shed out his bowels to the ground, and struck him not again, and he died. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And one of Joab's men stood by him and said, He that favoreth Joab, and he that is for David, let him go after Joab. And Amasa wallowed in blood in the midst of the highway. When the man saw that all the people stood still, he removed Amasa out of the highway into the field and cast a cloth upon him. When he saw that every one that came by him stood still. When he was removed out of the highway, all the people went on after Joab, to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. Jesus, we love you and thank you for your word. We're thankful for your op an opportunity to be in your house today. I pray that you would touch your anointed word tonight, God, as it goes forth. I pray that you would touch every ear of the hearer, God, that they would hear and their hearts to receive, God. I pray that you would be with every one of us tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I know that I'm going to title this message the same as Brother Pearson, who I called uncle all of my life, and I am going to tell a story, but I assure you this is not the same message that he preached. I, I was inspired by the title and the, and the story, and so I will relate that story to you. There was a man by the name of Roy Benavides, and on May 2nd, 1968, he was dropped out of a helicopter in the middle of the Vietnamese jungle. 
May 2nd, 1968. They called it the six hours of hell. The story tells us that he showed up on the scene with only a knife. He was attacked by a Vietnamese soldier with a bayonet. He stabbed the man with a knife that he had and left it in the man's body. The six-hour battle left Benavides with seven major gunshot wounds, 28 shrapnel holes, and both his arms were slashed by a bayonet. He had shrapnel in his head, his scalp, his shoulder, his buttocks, his feet, and legs. His right lung was completely destroyed. He had injuries to his mouth and back of his head from being clubbed with a rifle butt. A bullet shot from an AK-47 entered his back and exited just below his heart. He was examined, and in the examination, he was thought to be dead as they put him into a body bag. They were getting ready to zip up this body bag, and he could muster just a little bit of spit, and he spit in the examining doctor's face. And the doctor said, he is still alive, and they took him out of the body bag. There, there was a finality that in his mind that this body bag gave him. He understood that all of a sudden, if I don't make some kind of movement, if I can't make them aware that I am alive, they're going to zip this up and I'm not going to make it because I am in bad shape. But however possible, he managed to get just form just a little bit of spit to spit into the doctor's face. I understand that juxtapositioning this story with the text that I read is, is kind of odd, but the idea is to understand that there is a finality to the body bag or something that covers. And so to give a little bit of backstory what is happening in this text, I want to talk about Sheba. Sheba was leading an insurrection against David. This is not the first insurrection that had happened in David's reign, but this is the one that was happening now. And, and the statement he makes in 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1, which I did not read, I started reading several verses down. He says, And there happened to be there a man of Belial whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and he said, We have no part in David, neither have we an inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. Uh, it was interesting that in this statement, if you really pay attention, he denies the sovereignty of the king to the faces of all of them that are there. He devalues the king's identity because he says, we don't, we're not even going to be concerned about Jesse and David coming from the loins of Jesse. And he created his own way. He says, he looks at them and says, go back to your tents. I'm the one in control now. And so he does these three things without even a blink of an eye. And it's just like the enemy to come in and tell you your God's not sovereign. It's just like the enemy to tell you you really can't. You can't identify as an apostolic because I know what you do behind closed doors. He will find a way in and he'll try to tear you down and let you know you can identify with that all you want. But I know the real Martin Fields. And he'll even tell you, I don't have to go your way. You don't have to go that way. You don't have to live the way the pastor has preached it. You don't have to look into the word of God. And when we understand that we are looking at a roadmap of life right here, he's trying to tell you, make your own way. Go to your tents. Do whatever you want. You don't have to go to church on Sunday night. You don't have to show up to prayer meeting. You don't have to be there when the doors are open. That's just like the enemy that I'm talking about in Sheba. Denied the sovereignty of the king, devalued the king's identity, and he created his own way. For a moment tonight, I want to preach to you about the body bag. The body bag. 
Amasa was pursued by Joab because it was feared that he was not loyal to David, even though, even though he was the captain of David's army. Joab was concerned because in the middle of all of this, Sheba takes off and Amasa had an opportunity to do something immediately when David asked him. And it looked like he was kind of just lollygagging around, waiting. Joab's looking for an opportunity because he used to hold this office. And he doesn't, he doesn't have any trust where that is concerned, but he follows after him. And the Bible tells us that he, when he finds him there, he's bleeding out on the road. And people had stopped. They couldn't function. They couldn't think about where they were going. There was no focus anymore because something tragic had happened, and there they are by the side of the road. And he says, you know what? Something's got to be done. And so he covered this body. He pulls it off the side of the road, and he covers it. We need to be, un we need to be able to understand and be diligent enough to know that when the enemy comes in and begins to attack, we need to make a declaration and tell him, I'm not on your side. I'm not giving up or giving in. I'm not going your way. I'm on the Lord's side, and my plan is, is that I'm going to keep moving forward. It doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what, what seems to be pricking me in the side. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow or the next day, but my side that I'm going to fight on is the Lord's side. I refuse to give in or give up. We've got to be persuaded of our own declaration. Amen? So... With that as a backdrop, I'd like to look at three points tonight in regards to things that can happen. There's got to be an identifying of the things that are holding us back. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I'm thankful for that. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I'm thankful that although I, I have committed sin in my life, and although that I still consider myself a sinner, I can come to an altar. I can still make a trip to Calvary, and there is a covering that will take care of the things that, that plague me on a day-to-day -day basis. I can crawl out of my bed at five or six in the morning and reach out to a God and say, I need the covering of the Holy Ghost today because I know I'm going to face some things in life. And so, although I could have been one of those, and there's a lot of us in the house that we find ourselves in that passage of scriptures, but we're washed. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? Can I tell you that there was a time in my life that I felt like that I was struggling with something that I, I felt like God was calling me. At 17 years of age, I walked into my bedroom my father had asked me to give a little sermonette, what we would call word shot. And I denied it. I didn't want to hear about it. God answered a lot of questions that day, and I, I pushed it off. But I remember I was 18 years old. 
I was having a little cow bug. I had a 1959 Volkswagen Beetle. I've told this story to the likes of Jeremy, Brother Jeremy and Brother CJ, when they were in the youth department, when I was teaching. Don't know that I've shared it with the church. One night, 18 years of age, I'm driving to see a friend in Bellflower, California, probably 30 miles or so away from where I lived. And I had secular music playing in the Volkswagen. It's a 59, it had four fuses that powered everything. So a stereo with an equalizer and an amp and everything with big speakers was not conducive to keeping the power going in a Volkswagen. I would hit a speed bump and the music would go off. I'd have to fix a wire, or fix a fuse, whatever. It's a 59. You rev the engine and the lights would get brighter. You turn on the windshield wipers with the lights on and they would dim. It was just, it was bad. But I came off the freeway, the 605 Rosecrans Avenue, down on Bellflower area, this particular night, and I had... I guess you would consider it probably R&B type music. I had big speakers. I was listening to the music. And this was after the experience in my bedroom. And I came around the corner on the off ramp and there was traffic on one side and it looked like it was clear on the other. And I jumped over, I was 18, aggressively driving. And I ran my Volkswagen right into the back of a little Nissan car. And I tell people all the time, I made a park bench out of the front of that Volkswagen. It didn't just go down like this anymore. It went like this and like this and like this. You could sit down. Tires were rubbing the fenders. At that point, you couldn't drive it hardly. I drove it and blistered the tires so bad I had to replace them before I could drive the car. Cut the front end off, put a new clip on. This is when I was starting to identify the things that were holding me back. But would you know it? I hit this car going probably 20, 25 miles an hour just demolished my car and I'm just, my freedom's gone. If I go anywhere, I'm gonna have to ask dad now to go somewhere because I need keys to a car. And 20, 25 miles an hour, nice good smack and the music's still playing. And I almost could see the hand of God pointing in my car. I, I'm not kidding, it, was, it felt so surreal. As like a finger pointing, and my, my Volkswagen, I had the old stereo still in there, so it looked like it didn't have anything. You lift, open the glove box, and the stereo and EQ were in there, and I reached over and turned it off, and I felt like God said, that is what's holding you back. That. And it was not easy as a young man to identify those things and, and fight through those things and, and understand that if I'm going to be anything in the kingdom of God, there's things that I have to give up. There's things that are going to have to be covered. There's things that are going to have to go in a place that I can't revisit again. And so I began to, to take stock of some things in my life. I moved to Bakersfield, California just some months later, and I remember the church I went to, and I went with some young people and they're listening to secular music and my first thought was they're going to hell. There's no way you can live a life for God and listen to this kind of ungodly music because I had cut some things out of my life because I understood I've got to cover some things if I'm going to get over this situation. I was laying bleeding in the middle of the road and I said, you know what, something's got to happen. Something's got to give, God. 
And he said, that right there needs to go. And so after identifying some things, we need to allow our flesh to die out. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. I wish I would have understood this a little more when I was a young man. But every day now, I recognize it's a daily fight. And I lived in a different world. I thought it was pretty bad back then, but I live in a different world today. I recognize that. And it's a daily walk. It's a daily dying out. It's a daily recognizing there are things that are trying to come in and destroy. There are things that we're going to come across. And somebody better find a covering. Somebody better look at the situation. Somebody better find their way back to Calvary and say, you know what? I know Calvary can cover. I know I've been here and the enemy tells me I have no business being back here. But I'm telling you, I went back to Calvary a few times in my life. And the blood that flowed from Calvary still covers the sin that seems to creep up on me. Calvary still does the thing that it did the first time that I went. Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. There are going to be things come up in our life. There are going to be sick situations that we look at. And as it were, this passage of scripture, we'll find ourselves standing over a bloody situation. A rough situation. And those things seem to try to come in and destroy from the inside out. And you stand with a with a smile on your face and you're trying to make everybody think that everything's okay and deep down inside you're saying you know what I'm laying here bleeding and nobody cares about what's happening to me and every once in a while a man steps to a pulpit and begins to preach about Calvary and all of a sudden it connects and you say you know what it doesn't matter what I have if it's if it's a, a shortcoming, if it's, if it's a no faith situation in my life I can still go to Calvary and find something that I need thankful for Calvary Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 1 says woe to the rebellious children saith the Lord that take counsel but not of me and that cover with a covering but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin <laughs> I read this and I was so excited Because I'm not talking about just covering something up so you can go to the next day and everybody thinks you're A-OK. -okay. It's, it's not a situation where you come up here and cry a few tears and you think you fooled everybody and you walk out and you're still the same person and you still reach for the knob and listen to the music that you know is not satisfying to God and, and go out and do the things and speak the way you, you sometimes speak. There's got to be a covering. There's got to be something. Not that I'm trying to cover something up from everybody around here, but God, I need to be covered by your spirit because I want to be true blue. I want to be different than when I stepped up to this place. I don't come to an altar to show crocodile tears. I don't come to an altar to show that, oh, oh look, at, look at Brother Martin. He's, he's, he's up there crying, and, and I hope everybody recognizes that I'm really trying to be better. 
No, when I step before the Lord in an altar, I do that with a heart of sincerity because I truly want him to cover me. Cover me, cover me. I, I remember an old song from the 80s. Cover me, cover me. With your spirit, holy one, cover me. Every once in a while, I turn that on, Brother Bradford. Tim Miner singing that song, and something begins to happen in my truck as I'm driving down the road, and, and I begin to sing, cover me, cover me. Why? It's not because I've sinned every day that I say that. It's just I know that I'm going to need the covering, and there's nothing wrong with reaching out to him and saying, cover me today, God. Living victorious, number three, is the only way to move forward. It's not something that I can do on my own. Romans 8, probably my most favorite chapter in the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And it begins to talk about living under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made him free from the law of sin and death. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And those that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. Every once in a while, you've got to understand that there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. I feel conviction in the house of God. And it causes me to reach out. The enemy comes in to condemn. The enemy tries to make you feel like you're condemned. And say there's no way back to, the, to an altar. You had your opportunity. You went to, the, to Calvary. You sat at the cross and the blood flowed and, and it covered you. But you, you've been so many times now that there's no power left there because you've gone one too many times. I don't believe that. There's a redemptive quality that comes from Calvary. And as long as I'm a human being, I'm still going to have to go by Calvary. I'm still going to have to find something to cover a mistake. I'm still going to have to find something somewhere to put the sins that, that seem to creep up on me. And There's always going to have to be a place where I can come and say, I'm sick and tired of what I'm doing and, and dealing with and I need a covering today. I do have a body bag. It's a little morbid, but I have used it a few times. You lay it out there, and some people are really concerned. I went to Oxnard, and I preached this a couple of years ago, I guess, and my cousin said, what do you have in the manila envelope? I said, it's a body bag, and his eyes got big as saucers, and he was really concerned until I preached. He told his, his church, he said, I, I was concerned. And so I, I didn't know if some people may be a little put off by a body bag, but preach this and tell people, think of the one thing that seems to never be escapable in your life. And we're going to unzip this body bag and, and take it as it were an item and put it in there. We, we threw it in there. One night, the first body bag I got, I preached it, I think, three times, and twice I used a body bag. The first time I preached it, we had people dancing on the body bag, and there were holes all in it, so I couldn't use it anymore. There's got to be something. 
understood about the sin that we have in our life or the shortcoming that we have in our life. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 said, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb that came, overcame the enemy, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. There's got to be an overcoming, and how are we going to do that if we keep living in it? How do you overcome something if you, if you just try to cover it from other people around you but never really get it covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? How are we ever going to be more than conquerors, as Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, through Jesus that loved us if we're always trying to hide something away? I remember a song many years ago, there's a place in my heart that even I don't go. There's some things in there. And it goes on to explain that there's a room in my heart that I don't want Jesus to go into at all either. How many times have we tried to hide something in our heart, hide something in our life to no avail to finally hear a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist come to the pulpit and begin to preach about some things and all of a sudden you find yourself in the text and you find yourself in the message and you, you find yourself in the, in the word of God and you, you understand he's preaching right to me and I, I can't go on anymore. I can't, I can't cover this up from people. I've got to actually have it covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I wrote some things down, just things that happen, things that we fall prey to, pride and arrogance. Faults disappointments, shortcomings, anger, addictions of all kinds, envy, <coughs> failures, an unforgiving spirit. And I can find somewhere in my life where one of these have plagued me. And I know of a few times in my life that I've wanted to hang on to one or two of those and try to hide from the pastor and try to hide from parents and try to hide from the church and, and never really find a place of covering. All of these things will keep me from a victorious life in Jesus Christ. Every one of these things is going to plague me into a place of such a coldness that there's nothing that I will get out of a service by coming with that type of attitude and saying, I, I'm sorry, I will hide this, but I will not allow it to be covered by the blood. And I ran across a scripture that excited me to my core. Job 14, 17 says, my transgression is sealed up in a bag. <laughs> in a bag. And thou sowest up mine iniquity. God has a plan for every one of us. 
He already knows your shortcomings. He already knows your flesh. He already knows that you're human, and there's a propensity to make a mistake. He already understands that. He created you. He knows all of that. He also went to a cross, and he died on that cross, and blood flowed that we would be healed and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ when we make mistakes. But he understands all of that, and he still reaches out and tries to use mankind. He still reaches out and says, come back to Calvary. Come back to the place where you can be covered. Come back to this place and understand that you don't have to waller in all of that anymore. He will not leave you in that predicament. As the musicians come, I don't want to read the whole, chap- whole chapter. I almost got the whole chapter down here. Psalm chapter 27 has some great verses in it that I like. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Verse 4, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. I don't know when it was. Probably eight, ten years ago and I remember praying and I said, God, I want to rest in the shadow of you. And I, I want to find a space in your pavilion. And I had to look some of this stuff up, and it just sounded good. But I, I began to say some of these things, and I, I began to talk about how holy God was and understood something. You know, a lot of people will talk about praise and worship like they're synonymous terms. And praise, the, the easiest way I can break it down is praise is about him to others. Worship is about him to him. And when I get to the point where I can talk to him about him, I enter a place that's holy. Verse 6, I really like, it says, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. And I thought, how is it that God can lift us up above everybody And gives me a place to look down on my enemy and say, you know what, you're under his feet, you're under my feet. I don't have to live in condemnation because you say I have to live in condemnation. I don't have to be walking around and trying to cover things from people because I can go find a covering at Calvary. I can go back to that place that that means so much to me. Some years ago, I, I started trying to see if I could take a trip back to a place in the Dalles, Oregon. Forty years ago in the month of May, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget the night that a man preaching a revival and all numerous times during that revival he would sing that song, Let Me Walk With You, Jesus. Don't ever leave me alone. I was enamored by this man, this evangelist. He, he could sing, he could preach, and when he came and preached real hard. He would lean over the front pew where I was sitting. They were like theater seats. And sweat from his face would drip onto my pants and I would see, he would be there long enough, I'd see it almost completely disappear. On Monday when I went back to school, his suit would be hanging from the trailer trying to get all the sweat out of it. Many people got the Holy Ghost during that revival and I'll never forget little girl that wasn't quite four years old on this side of the church 
I stood up as nine years old and I said, God, that's not fair. She can barely speak English, much less speak in tongues. And she got the Holy Ghost before I did. How unfair was that? And two nights later, at an old wooden bench, praying by myself, I began to speak in a heavenly language. And I'll never forget feeling as just a nine-year-old boy, man, this really feels clean. This feels exactly what I was hoping it would feel like. And I understood that there was a covering because two years before that, I was baptized in the South Umpqua River right off the 5 Freeway in Roseburg, Oregon. I don't know how many sins there were that went down the river bed that day. How much can a seven-year-old boy sin? I, I, could, I could tell some fibs. Other than that, I don't know. I'm so thankful for a God that knows how to cover everything that I bring as we stand tonight. I was overcome with sadness some years ago thinking about an individual that had walked out of the house of God. Terrible things happened in her life and she needed a covering. One day in devotion, I was thinking and praying, and I wrote this. She sits on the back row completely unaware, her mind wandering for too distracted to care. The last call was given to come and kneel at an altar. She thought to herself, it's too late. I've already faltered. She gathers her things to walk out the door not giving heed to the song that is sung. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. She's so engrossed in her own mind, not realizing this is the moment that grace weeps. She sits alone on an old park bench, homeless, depressed, and hungry. Her first and last thought of every day, please someone feed me, I'm hungry. She walks in the back door, everything looks the same. I'm thankful. The house of God still is the same. There's some places that don't, don't have that blessing. Everything looks the same. She takes a seat near the back door, not able to mask the pain. It takes a while for the song to cut through all of the haze, but you can tell that mercy weeps by the look on her face. That's when grace weeps. That's when mercy cries. When a, saint, when a sinner saved by grace begins to sing, his grace begins to clear her mind as she hears the words of the song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You see, I really do believe that the day that Jesus died on that cross, that if you were to ask people around, they would have seen eyes full of compassion. They would have seen grace and mercy in his face. They would have recognized that he was, he was telling people in a look, there's going to be a place for you to come for the rest of the time that this world has. And he had to be able to look 
far enough in advance to see some people just like me that needed a covering. And I believe that sometimes people walk into the house of God and they, they don't want to be the person that once again they're in an altar. Once again, it's them asking for God to cover them. Once again, here we are reaching around one person and praying for them. How long is it going to last this time, Pastor? How long is it going to last this time, Brother so-and-so or Sister so-and-so? All I can tell you is if it was my child coming to a place to find a covering, I pray that the people would surround them and say, I don't care if it lasts 10 minutes or 10 years or the rest of their life. If they come to a place to find covering, I pray that God meets them there and says, my blood is enough for you. If somebody comes with chains that are binding them, I pray that God says, those chains don't have to stay hooked up to you today. I can break those chains. I listened as a song was sung. And it talks about the chains break at the weight of your glory. And I had to look it up. And in studying, they say that glory can be explained as being weighty like it's valuable as as the weight of gold and so you talk about how many pounds of gold you have and I began to think about that because I never thought of that the break chains break at the weight of your glory and something happened to me in the spirit and I began to ask God you know what if there's a chain that needs to be broken I pray that your weight the weight of your glory would come down in such a way that those chains don't have a chance to stay connected to my life, to my body, to whatever it is that's happening in my life. I pray that those chains will be broken because I'm in the house of God and understand that I want to be around the glory of God. I want to be around the throne of God. I want to be around Calvary so that he can cover me. And I pray that everyone here tonight would understand I don't come trying to say that there's a bunch of sin in the house. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there are just some things that happen every once in a while. We've got to find our way back to Calvary. As they begin to sing a song of invitation tonight, I want you to think of anything that may have arisen in your life. disappointment sometimes disappointments can take us to a, another place that we don't need to visit I've been so disappointed in my own self disappointed in people many times but I've never been disappointed when I came to a God and laid myself on an altar and says you know what God I know I've disappointed you I know I've been unfaithful I know that there's some things that I have done wrong but I'm still grateful for a faithful God that looks down and says, you know what? The weight of my glory can break all of that. All you've got to do is give yourself to me. Find a place in the altar. Find, find, a, find an altar somewhere in your car, in your house, out in your backyard. And understand that he's willing to meet you there. He's willing to meet you there. He's willing to take all of that because that's what he gave his life for. Let's praise him tonight and thank him. Hallelujah, Jesus.